Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources. All right, welcome back to the Brain Mastery Podcast. Today's episode is going to be a lot of fun as we dig into community-based uh, healthcare programs really focusing on brain health. Very excited to have today's guest with us, an accomplished professional uh, coming to us from Bakersfield, California. We have David Harrington with us, who's the president of the Center for Neuroskills. They serve seven different locations around the country and really specialize in kind of that brain health space. David is an occupational therapist and is the president of that organization and is going to share with us today a lot of his background in this space and really what motivates him, what he's excited about, what frustrates him and everything in between. So thank you for joining us today, David. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on uh, your podcast, the Brain Mastery Podcast. I'm a fan of the podcast and it's in my library of podcasts that I continually consume and I just wanted to thank you for your education, your advocacy, and, and what you do to develop others. You're truly making a difference, and we appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much. Uh, as you know, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Mark and the entire team over there. And, and the work that you do is really innovative in that it really helps to optimize not just inpatient, but outpatient and community uh, programs with a real focus on brain health. So thank you, too. You know, I'm definitely a fan. So let's get into it. Why don't you give us just a little bit of an introduction to your main message in the world of brain health? What brought you to brain health? Why occupational therapy? Uh, you know, <laughs> what, what, what led you down this path? Well, gosh, that goes way back to, in fact, our company newsletter came out uh, just last week, and apparently I'm celebrating my 23rd year at Center for Neuroskills. So, <laughs> you know, I was, an, I was an architect major uh, early on in college, and I needed a job before I went away to school and I got a job here at Center for Neuroskills as a direct care staff. And it was challenging. I had never been exposed to brain injury. And I'll tell you, it made a tremendous impact on me so much that I dropped the T-square and picked up the TheraBand and decided to go down the clinical route and I became an occupational therapist and worked in different settings. Uh, and I ultimately came back to neuro. And I, I absolutely have a passion for it. Became a case manager, studied business, and I just really fell in love with the business of healthcare. That's where my passion is, is how do we improve the efficacy and the efficiency of delivering high quality care to a lot of people, especially this group that's completely underserved, in my opinion. Totally. I couldn't agree more. It really is underserved. And as we talked earlier before we hit record, I think that's where our two worlds kind of merge is you know, in what we do in my work at ABI Wellness has helped to really standardize and optimize more of that care model. And here you are, you've created a whole system of care that really helps so many in need of good brain health programming. So why don't you give us a little bit of uh, a background for listeners here? These may be people that may have a loved one or may have suffered a brain injury themselves. These may be people that are just looking to better understand what's out there, what the research is saying, or they could just be people just generally interested in learning more. What's kind of your main message in you know 23 years in this field? What is your main message to people that are listening out there? Well, you know, I'm a clinician with a formal and experiential business training. So I like to think that I have an ambidextrous brain when it comes to managing healthcare organizations. And you know, my message is brain injury treatment is a cause worth the investment, the mm -hmm. investment of time, financial resources, and effort. 
And, and Mark, I really do see this as a social cause that there are too many people living with long-term impairments and disabilities in both numbers and severity who wouldn't have that level of disability if they had access to the right care by the right people who have the right skills at the right time. And I was once described as a mission-driven person, and I truly hope that is the case. But I truly do believe that there is no greater cause than to stand by individuals and to help them reclaim their independence, their role, and their purpose. But along with the social cause, there is a financial cause mm -hmm. as well. And this is where I don my business hat with my clinical hat. And by reducing disability, we reduce the expenses related to the disease management of brain injury, the risk of re-injury, and the long-term medical complications that will ultimately save for families, payers, and the public funds, which, you know, the public funds typically will, you know, receive the burden of those costs long-term for these chronic issues. And I'll tell you what, Mark, I am just so excited about the neurospace. There's a lot coming out with the neuroscience and what we can do. And I, that's also part of my passion is how do we integrate neuroscience with the emerging and proven theories with technology and data and even residential clinical services. Mm -hmm. Well, 100%. And when you talk about neuro, I mean, a lot of the time, what I've found in this space, a lot of the focus tends to be on the physical rehabilitation, you know, getting people back to movement, these sorts of things. What do you see coming as an, I'm interested in your lens as an occupational therapist, what brings you such a high degree of excitement about the future of kind of occupational health and function, specifically on function? What are you seeing in that space that's really helping to motivate you and excite you? 40 years ago, the conventional wisdom is if you had an injury, there was no hope for you. Um, right. And, you know, our founder, Dr. Mark Ashley, uh, he had his brother who had an injury, and that was the conventional wisdom at that time. And, mm -hmm. and to create an environment that is going to place demands on a person and on their brain is going to help to rewire the brain. And Dr. Mark Ashley was, in my opinion, a frontiersman in the neuroscience space. And it, that is really in our DNA at Center for Neuroskills. And so there's a lot in terms of the neuroscience between not only the neuroplasticity, but the angiogenesis, you know, the vessel support that we need to create this, the oligodendrocytes, the astrocytes, and this beautiful ecosystem that really all must be repaired, not only the neurons, but all the scaffolding. Mm -hmm. And then synaptogenesis, the inflammatory process. And we know now that what we do with a person and to create those environmental demands, we can rewire the brain. And of course, the emerging theories of recovery and treatment, the technologies, the technologies, not only the wearable devices that are available to us now, but what are we going to do in terms of the biomarkers, genomic factors that will play out in the person's course of recovery. And I am a big data person. CNS is a, a big data organization. And, um, you know, how do we then define this disease of brain injury? Because not a brain injury is alike with another brain injury. And it's kind of like saying, well, you just treat cancer. Well, there's hundreds of types of different types of cancer. And we need to really look at the specificity of brain injury to yeah. properly treat it. And then how do we aggregate this data to begin to project outcomes and to better understand this disease and ultimately combine that clinical residential model to provide value to people? And so when we talk about value, it is becoming, you know, that father again or that mother going back to work and doing something purposeful. And so when you blend all these things, the neuroscience, the technology, the data, the occupational therapy perspective, it's really about repairing lives and getting people their lives back.
I love it. I love what you just said there. And and I feel bad even speaking because I think you just you nailed it. That's why our visions align so tightly and why I've been in touch with Mark and Sue and the team over there is I think you're doing really important work. And, um, you know, this is why you really become this center of excellence to help so many people in need. And I've heard such great things uh, from the community. I'm curious, though, when you think about, you know, occupational therapy, typically when I got into my work, as we were talking earlier, actually, my background is special education. And, you know, early on, when we were doing this kind of neuroplastic cog rehab work in the educational uh, setting, we ended up getting some referrals from occupational therapists who were already doing neuro rehab, but actually a lot of the tools that they were using were kind of each individual is obviously unique. There was a lot of N of ones, right? Kind of trying different tools for different conditions, different symptoms. Typically what we see, what I had seen in occupational therapy is there was a lack of kind of good neuroplastic care that was kind of standardized and and really evidence-based because something I think that probably frustrates you and also frustrates me, I don't want to speak for you, so correct me if I'm wrong, is that we're seeing a lot of good sort of brain-based assessments coming out to the industry, which is great. However, it can be, or at least I've heard, it can be relatively problematic to find a good suite of cognitive treatment that could help with some of those higher order cognitive functions. And I'm curious, tell me a little bit more about what you're seeing in that lens too, because it's probably pretty exciting. There's probably some good things coming down the pipe there. Yeah, well, at least in our space at Center for Neuroskills, we do a lot of assessments up front, you know, the physical, cognitive, psycho-emotional skills. And and I'll, I always say that there's no insurance company that holds us more accountable than we hold ourselves because we're big data and we look at the, the projection. What I find to be most valuable is not only the assessments, but then what do you do with that information? And it's really the dosing of treatment. And this is really one of the things that concerns me with the movement of healthcare is what is the dosing of occupational therapy, physical therapy, and how do we then bring all these teams together and be an integrated unit so that everyone is working in lockstep? You know, at Center for Neuroskills, we have a staffing every single morning with all the disciplines, OT, PT, speech, education, nursing, medical, residential, counseling, and because it takes a comprehensive team to really help to rewire the brain. And what I really have a passion for is our residential program. You know, the fact that our inpatients will come to the clinic during the day for their traditional therapies, but then they will go back to the apartments at night where we're going to challenge them to cook, to clean, to integrate into the community, to scan the the grocery store. And so rather than providing three or four hours of treatment, it's 17 hours of treatment. And so it's really, again, creating that environmental demand that's going to help us to, to get those neurons to fire together so that they wire together. Oh, I totally love it. And that's neuroplasticity right there. You're on the fire together, wire together. That's what it's all about. And, you know, I feel like I'm talking to a kindred spirit here. So it's pretty cool. You know, I'm happy to share your message uh, with our audience here today. I guess something I'm curious about, it speaks maybe to your purpose. I know it does to mine. You know, when I first heard about the state of sort of post-acute cognitive care for people that may have had a history of acquired brain injury. When I approach many different researchers, both, you know, in the United States and in Canada, in talking with some of them, this is back, you know, almost a decade ago now, I'm aging myself. 
you know, many people, and you already hinted at this, uh, many people kind of suggested that once you're sort of post-acute, and at that time was 24 months post-insult or injury, you've made as much progress as you can make. And I remember uh, having my experience in the education sector, a lot of these folks were, you know, 10, 15 years post-injury, and we're seemingly making change because neurons that fire together, wire together. So if we're focusing on a particular area, let's say it's, um, you know, verbal expression, if you're working on that, ask any good speech pathologist, you can rewire some of that through good targeted dosed treatment and therapy. A lot of these folks, when we brought up this question, it's why it's nice to be speaking with you. When I approached some good researchers, I asked, you know, well, what do you do once you're post-acute? What, what do you do if there's these kind of higher order cognitive functions that are not enabling the individual to regain in activity and meaningful act activity and occupation? And the kind of the suggestion based on the data was, well, take it slow and easy, right? These are people with challenges with attention, memory, planning, and organizing. So because of those cognitive deficits, let's use compensatory strategies to steer around some of those weaknesses. And you know, when I hear that, I think it's well-intentioned and I think it's useful. However, I push back <laughs> because it's kind of like, well, why would you surrender to that prior to deploying and increasing capacity as high as possible and then deploying those strategies? And I'm curious in, in your response because, you know, I believe every human is worthy of a challenge if they want to improve themselves. I believe it's like a, it's a human right. Every person, if they want to have the opportunity to improve, should have access to that sort of a opportunity or that, the word I like is agency, right? That power to try to, to improve. So I'm curious about your thoughts around that topic because I'm sure it's something very close to your heart. Man, Mark, we are kindred spirits, and I, I this, this, we can make this a three-hour podcast. I suspect <laughs> <laughs> you are so correct. Uh, you know, we do here at Center for Neuroskills believe in remediation. You know, there are some areas where compensation may be good, but let's rewire the brain so this person has the tool in their skull to be able to to function better. And you're right; the environmental demands makes a big difference. CNS has a research arm. And there are many things that we're trying to do to really expedite the recovery of brain injury, especially on the cognitive side, because, you know, a lot of the cognitive issues, you're not going to see like a taxic gait, or you're not going to be able to hear like a dysarthric speech. Right. But, you know, the cognitive deficits really do put people at risk of greater injury, or, you know, perhaps they're not good advocates for themselves. So what stones, Mark, can we turn over? So some of the stones that we've turned over, one would be, to your point, the long-term study. We have an assisted living group, and there are a lot of people where in our group where if given the proper structure, the routine, the environmental demands, they don't necessarily decompensate, they maintain, or they can improve. The other things that we're looking at, which it makes my socks roll up and down. I love this stuff. Um, sleep. You know, what is the yeah. impact of sleep? We know that after brain injury, the suprachiasmic nucleus is affected, which helps us with our circadian rhythms. And so we know that deep sleep and REM sleep are important for consolidating uh, declarative and procedural memory. Well, gosh, if this is disrupted after brain injury, what can we do from a sleep intervention perspective so that when a person's engaging in these activities that they can consolidate that descriptive and procedural memory from one day to the next. 
you know, or the neuroendocrine function. We know that the pituitary gland, our master gland is hanging down from the hypothalamus and it's, it's connected with this very thin pituitary stalk. You know, so you get this jostling as the pituitary glands in this uh, cella tersica, this bone, and that stock becomes compromised. Well, gosh, if there's no communication, yeah. how are we to release growth hormone and all these other hormones that help us to have energy, to help us think better? We're looking at the gut biome and what is the big impact on food and our gut? And so we've done a study where it showed that uh, after a brain injury, for some reason, people with brain injuries don't absorb amino acids like they should. Mm. Well, why is that? And gosh, if we're not absorbing the amino acids, what does that mean in terms of starvation in essence and, and not getting the proper nutrients? But then now, what do we do about that? And, and is there a, an opportunity for us to make a difference? And I think that aside from the cognitive tools, the traditional therapies like a speech therapy, occupational therapy to work on cognition... What are some of the other things that we need to look at in brain injury that's going to help to really expedite this recovery curve? Yeah, I love it. I love it. And uh, what you speak to is truly interdisciplinary care, right? Not multidisciplinary. And I think it's an important distinction that one should be aware of. Uh, because if we're looking at more of a multidisciplinary care, typically the information is not going to be shared in a way that's going to help the patient to get access to the appropriate care needed in real time. Uh, because the longer we wait, the further the comorbidities will get, right? And and that's always the concern that I'm sure you see and we see as well. And I really commend you for doing the work that you do, especially on the research side, because uh, I think, you know, I think research is so incredibly important. However, I think clinical research is specifically really meaningful at this point in time because it's really looking at getting things into practice and into the hands of people who need it most. So thank you for your explanation on that. Now, this is a big, you know, fest of shared synergies and interests, but I want to push a little bit here and say, okay, when you think about this world of brain health, what really frustrates you? What do you need to see change? What keeps you up at night? What makes you mad and angry? If you get <laughs> mad and angry, you don't seem like a mad guy, neither do I. But like, what are areas that you're just, you know, upset about or frustrated with? No, I am generally an optimist and uh, positive, but you're right, Mark, I'm human as well. And I get frustrated too. And, and really there's a couple key areas, access to care, lack of understanding of brain injury, and just kind of the lack of guidelines that we work in a very fragmented space. And I'd love the, the um, privilege of unpacking those a little bit. If you'd, if you please do hundred percent, okay. oh, okay. please do. So access to care is definitely one of them. And it's really access to the right kind of care by the right type of people um, who have the training. I worked in orthopedics. There was a time where in a hand therapy, I was treating a person who had hemiplegia and I was treating their arm, but it was a neuro issue. It wasn't an ortho issue. And so what kind of person needs to be treating brain injuries? So it's the dosing, you know, the right, mm -hmm. you know, access to the right kind of care is the dosing. Is it is residential treatment an option for this person before they transition to a day treatment program or perhaps an outpatient program? And a lot of times that is skipped. There's a shortened length of stay, not only in the post-acute world, but also in the acute or the inpatient rehab facility, we're seeing patients sicker and quicker. So they're not able to, in those settings up the continuum, be able to do what they need to do to prepare them for our level of care and so that would be an access to care issue as well. 
And what's so surprising, sometimes we want to think of the insurance companies who might be blocking this, and there's certainly that part. But however, providers are also guilty of this too. The, I, my uncle had a brain injury uh, not too long ago, with stroke and a traumatic brain injury from a fall. Mm. And Mark, if not for my intervention, he would have gone to a skilled nursing facility that was completely unprepared to care for my uncle. And, and I think of all the other families who are out there and I, who don't have that advocate internally. And what would have happened with my uncle had I not intervened or my sister who also works in healthcare. So sometimes funding isn't the issue. Sometimes providers upstream, they're not aware of brain injury. They're not aware of the brain injury placements and the specialized type of intervention. And unfortunately, because they're so busy, they're good people, but because they're so busy, they're looking for the ease of discharge rather than the best place to discharge. This is interesting too. It just happened probably a couple of weeks ago. When we think of brain injury and what do we need to do to be able to identify those red flags? Well, falls, motor vehicle accidents, strokes, those are usually fairly clear, but sometimes people don't think of stroke as a brain injury. Mm -hmm. They don't think of explosions where a person's mm -hmm. gonna have that concussive wave that's gonna disrupt the brain or perhaps toxic fumes carbon monoxide, or perhaps a, a heart attack or a drowning where a person will have an anoxic injury or electrocution yeah. or a brain tumor. There's all these other different diagnoses that fall into the ABI category or even the TBI category. But even within healthcare, we're not sensitized to that being a brain injury and it does require the specialized care so those are some of the frustrations, aside mm -hmm. from lack of understanding for families. They don't know. And it's easy for a healthcare system to swallow a person. And it's so complex. They've been catastrophically thrown into a situation uh, where they don't know how to navigate the system. Sometimes the system can be complacent. And without an advocate such as yourself or Center for Neuroskills, what is the guiding path for these people? Can we be a lighthouse or even a lamp to walk this path and get them to the right place. And lastly, you know, the lack of guidelines. It's, you mm -hmm. know, you, you mentioned it earlier. What do we do in terms of protocol and remediating cognition? There's a lot of people who are just winging it out there. Yeah. We need that evidence base. We need proven interventions. There's always more than one way to skin a cat, of course. but it really does go down to dosing in that environmental demand that we're going to place on that patient. Brilliant. Yeah, that was uh replay that, please. <laughs> Anybody listening? Uh, that was very, very well said. And it is frustrating, you know, and we share those frustrations. For me, you know, I really acknowledge your comments. I think that's why we do this podcast is education. You know, I want a lot of the people out there in community to better understand that much like we're seeing physically, remember the brain controls the body. Remember this, right? Like everything from the brain down the central nervous system that controls the movements. And I think sometimes uh, many of us forget that, you know, remember like the mind and the brain, there's a connection there too, right? So, it, you know, I think it's very important that people um, understand this and that they're aware of this that the brain is neuroplastic. It always has been neuroplastic. Neuroplasticity is neither positive nor negative. It just is. And it provides a great opportunity for hope because yes, it's frustrating access to care. I could not agree more, but also education and awareness. Like if this message is, you know, really hitting home for you, I ask you to share this message, share David's message with your loved ones. Tweet it out there. 
get it out there because more people need to be aware of this. You know, sadly, access to good care is more challenging than either of us would like to see it. We'd like to see people get more access to good care. And I know that's a big, you know, focus for you and your team. And Mark, you know, it's all about providing access to people and agency to people so that they can get themselves a little bit better. So hey, Mark, thank you for sharing that. Jump in real quick. Yeah. Uh, you, I, I love what you said. You know, the brain is plastic and it's going to rewire. And what do we do to rewire it in the right way versus a maladaptive way? And there are many times where we'll get patients who didn't get the right care at the right time by the right people. And we have to then engage in this kind of reconstructive therapy where they've created a lot of maladaptive behaviors or compensatory movements, uh, things that put them at risk. And that type of rehab, it takes longer. So if we get them up front and we train the brain to wire in the right way, it actually will make the person better, faster, cost less money, and they will be much more independent. Beautiful. Beautiful. And it's so well said. You know, that's why it's funny. I think the universe conspired to connect us. It's interesting because when, full disclosure, I'm a cognitive nerd. I really enjoy, you know, neuroplastic cog rehab. But, you know, when you think about generalizing this out even further, you know, just habit creation, you know, and forming new habits and the consistency that, and the discipline it takes to form that new habit. I really like what you said. It's about better practice almost, right? You know, in our rehabilitation, if, you, if you're practicing poorly, to use that metaphor in sport, uh, it's going to show up at game time, yes. right? And the scoreboard is going to indicate that. And when we think about that metaphor into our life, our health will show that. And I really liked how you said that. And I think that's where I actually, I really want to chat with you after this Sorry, listeners, but I have something I want to chat with you about after a light bulb went off for me, because I think that many times I'm seeing this a lot in occupational medicine with good intentions, but there's some things that I've come to learn in terms of exhausting that neuroplastic potential and then loading in the appropriate skill acquisition. I think it's really such an exciting area to be in right now, because we're seeing a lot of people you know, return to vocation that were previously unable to, and similar to what you had mentioned, had already been through many other kind of rehabilitation programs, but they had kind of missed the opportunity on some of the neuroplastic stuff. So when you think about, let's say we give you the crystal ball, you can shape the future. You can shape the future of the world of brain health. What would be your hope for the future in the world of brain health? My hope for the for brain health in general as an industry is that we would see brain injury for the complexity that it is. Um, it's not just an injury. It's not just an event, but it's the beginning of a chronic, perhaps, disease, uh, disease causative, disease accelerative in terms of neurodegenerative problems, everything from bowel and bladder to just a beginning of a lifetime of problems and we can head this off. And so, you know, in my crystal ball, it would be about how do we get people to become more independent a lot faster? We, we have a mantra around here is, you know, how do we get the same or better outcomes in half the time and half the money? And that's a big challenge, right? So it's going to force us to really look at the efficacy of our treatment, challenge the status quo, even challenge things that have worked for us in the past mm -hmm. and to do things differently and to look at the multi-systems that do contribute to brain health, such as sleep, a pituitary function, all of these things that really do not only contribute to brain health, but then the brain also has an impact, like you said previously, Mark. So the world in the future would begin to look at 
brain injury, very similar to how we look at cancer, that there are different treatments for the type of cancers. And there's hundreds of different types of cancers. If we were to get that level of specificity for brain injury and to be able to treat accordingly, we will be able to manage this injury, this chronic disease much better than we do now. And people should have the right to be able to have that intervention, to be able to have that opportunity to improve and to have that opportunity to resume their roles and their purpose in life. Love it. Yeah, nothing more for me to add. Perfect. I couldn't agree more. And I share that hope completely. Now, I mean, you're obviously a very well-read individual, and surely you've had some mentors in this work that have helped to shape your perspective. Could you share with our listeners maybe what are a couple of the influences that have really helped you to kind of uh, frame your perspective on this work? Well, on my work, yeah, I love it. Um, Dr. Mark Ashley, uh, yeah. he would be the the first and foremost, you know, our, our founder, CEO. He's had a tremendous impact on the industry, as I said, mm-hmm. you know, using his brother as Steve, you know, Steve as a our first patient. And Steve was able to go from a very dependent state to living independently, driving to get married and just get beautiful story of how a person could reclaim their independence. And so part of Mark's work uh, is in our DNA. It's not giving up. It's finding a way. It's using data. It's using innovation. And not only is that in our DNA here at Center for Neuroskills, but it's in my DNA. It's, It's how I look at the world. And I'm grateful for my position to be able to learn from him, not only as a boss, but a mentor and a friend. Mark has had a profound impact on me, and I, I'm just honored to be able to be a reflection of his living legacy. Um, but there's also been some neuroscientists that we have here, you know, Dr. Grace Griesbach, Stephanie Howell, uh, and even another neuroscientist, Dr. Lisa Krieber, who I can rub elbows with them, and I can be, I'm the least smart guy in the world. This, the, <laughs> I don't want to say the dumbest guy, I don't want to go that low, but, you know, I surround myself by people much smarter than me, and I can be able to learn from them. And of course, we have a lot of institutional knowledge here, a lot of my colleagues. I spend a lot of time with our, uh, I would say competitors, but they're also collaborators mm-hmm. in our neurospace through the Brain Injury Association of America, and to be able to learn from them on the advocacy side, the legislative mm-hmm. side, and mm-hmm. what do we need to do as an industry? And I would say that I'm shaped by many people. I also, as a big consumer of podcasts, uh, yours is one of them, uh, and podcasts on both the neurofront and also leadership, because I feel mm-hmm. that if we're going to make a big change in this world, not only do we need to know the science, but we also need to be able to organize our organizations, uh, invest in our staff, create good cultures and innovative cultures. So part of my job is really making sure that we're creating an organization that will make a difference. I love it. Uh, Well, I I have to ask, because I'm a big leadership buff as well. What's one, maybe one of your favorite, either leadership books or leadership podcasts? My favorite leadership podcast is uh, Craig Groeschel, Ed Milet. I like Michael and Megan Hyatt. Um, yeah. And so the Maxwell Network, I, I, I yeah. listen to all of them. You know, and Don just, Maxwell, I love it. Don Maxwell's it. phenomenal. I'm a huge proponent, and I'm sure you are as well, of the work of you know many out there. But one is Greenleaf and servant leadership. Yes. Uh, you know, leader as servant. Um, you know, it's something that a conversation me and my son had just yesterday. You know, and I think that really speaks to the work that you are doing, you know, and that Mark founded is really leadership through service. 
and consistent service and the process of service. It's something that really speaks to me in terms of what I'm hearing you say. So, um, you know, kudos to you for that. And thank you for sharing that with our audience. So for people that are out there right now, they're saying, wow, this sounds amazing. How do people get a hold of you? How do they learn more about your work? What we'll do is if there's websites and phone numbers, we'll make sure that it's all clickable. Uh, so when you hear this here, you can simply on your phone, click right through and get connected. Fantastic. Yeah. And again, Mark, thank you for giving us an opportunity to share our passion and uh, and again, to be able to have the synergies on this very important podcast to get to know us or to contact us. Neuroskills.com is really the best way to do it. It's our website. There's a lot of educational information for families who are on this path and they need some resources or perhaps you're a clinician and you want to know what's going on in the, the world of neuroscience. There's a lot of information mm-hmm. on our website, even what we're doing Uh, What we're doing, if you're a payer, you know, the value proposition and that investing in rehab is the right investment to make. Uh, And so I believe that our website really does cast a wide net depending on who's listening to this message now. So neuroskills.com is really important. Of course, we're in seven locations, like you said earlier at Mm -hmm. the beginning of the podcast in both California and Texas. Hopefully uh, more uh, locations coming soon. But I would also say uh, being a board member of the Brain Injury Association of America, going to BIAUSA.org, their website is a fantastic website as well. And of course, join us, Center for Neuroskills, on all the social media platforms. Please do. And we'll make sure, again, those are clickable. Uh, I want to acknowledge you and thank you again for your time. Uh, I appreciate it. We'll do this again. Um, I'm I'm confident this conversation and, and your wisdom will hold a lot of value for our listeners today. So uh, please download and share this episode with anyone that you think may need to hear it. We thank you in advance for doing so. And we'll see everybody on the next episode. Thank you again, David. It was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to the Brain Mastery podcast. We're super grateful for the community of supporters of this podcast. Again, this podcast was designed with an intention and an objective, and that was to share stories of rehabilitation, of recovery from brain injury, to really interview some of the leaders out there to provide more hope to community members. So thank you again for all of the support with that. If this episode resonated for you and had value for you, we just ask, please download and share it. Please also, if you wouldn't mind, rate the podcast. Those ratings really matter and help us to spread the message. If you're a clinical provider out there, meaning a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, or somebody who just works with people with brain injury and want to learn more about the Bears platform, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for you to do so. Just go to www.abiwellness.com to learn more about how to get involved. Uh, Training is very accessible and we've tried to make it very, very easy for people to get access to this neuro rehabilitation platform. Thank you again for your support and we'll see you on the next episode. The statements made regarding the Bears platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the Bears platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The Bears platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. 
please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.